0: Ultrasound Gel
1: Podcast. Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila and I'm joined by Cray Bolger and Michael Pratt. How are you guys doing?
2: Wonderful. I'm doing pretty well.
1: I'm so happy to see you guys. I just, uh, you know, we, we should do this more often. Just hang out virtually via via the internet. We could arrange that. Our ultrasound happy hours. Yeah, that's right. That'd be a good idea. What I want to talk about today is an article that I'm actually super stoked about. Um, I think that bowel ultrasound is super important and I think that we should do it more. And I'm glad when an article comes out that kind of helps me know if this is something that I should be doing more or not. This specific article is entitled, A Prospective Evaluation of -of Point-of-Care Ultrasonographic Diagnosis of Diverticulitis in the Emergency Department, published in July of 2020 in the Annals of Emergency Medicine. There have been plenty of articles that have been published previously that talk about using ultrasound for the diagnosis of diverticulitis, but this study is a pretty big sample and I think has pretty good methods, and I think has pretty good numbers. What did you guys think about this? Yeah,
0: this is like the best thing on diverticulitis to date, so really exciting to get some good evidence.
2: Yeah, I think this is a good paper. I'm still a little dubious. I have I have some thoughts, as usual, that I want to share.
0: I can't wait to hear them. Craig, maybe you could walk us through this study.
2: So this was a single-site study over almost two and a half years with fairly advanced um, providers collecting it, um, ultrasound faculty and fellowship trained uh, physicians. And it was a convenient sample, so they had to have abdominal pain, they had to have a high suspicion for diverticulitis, and a plan to treat and image for diverticulitis um, with a CT scan. And then they also had to have a ultrasound faculty available to do the scan. Patients were excluded if they were unstable, pregnant, a child, had had recent abdominal surgery, had came in with a diagnosis of diverticulitis, or were not able to consent, or not able to have a CT scan performed. It was prospective, and the sonographers were blinded to any patient clinical data and imaging, and the treating physicians were blinded to the ultrasound. So again, this was a highly skilled, theoretically highly skilled, I guess, (laughs) scanner group. Again, all ultrasound fellows are fellowship-trained physicians.
0: Or physician assistants, which is always cool.
2: They had a 40-minute course on going over the criteria for diverticulitis on ultrasound, the study protocol, and then they had five precepted scans, which at least one of them had to be positive. So how they did this, curvilinear probe, they started at the point of maximal tenderness, very similar to the way we do bowel obstruction ultrasound. They did graded compression to visualize the bowel and then just mowed the lawn, scanning over the entire abdomen, moving from the point of maximal tenderness um, to the contralateral side. And what they were looking for is bowel wall edema greater than five millimeters surrounding a diverticula pericolonic fat enhancement, sonographic tenderness to palpation consistent with the edema and positive findings. Um, and they secondarily were also looking for any free fluid or abscess in the region as well. Um, they collected basic demographics on the patient, their past surgical history, any history of diverticulitis, and then ultimately um, their CT findings and disposition
0: can we talk a little bit about how you get this scan? Because I'll be honest, I have not done this very much at all. So have either of you guys taken a look at diverticulitis?
1: Yes. Tell me about it. Try to, uh, you know, convince me. Mike, it's so easy. So this is a scan of the abdomen. So I will tell you right off the bat that there are certain patients in which this is going to be inherently difficult. So that is the overly fluffy patient and the patient in a bunch of pain, right? So the patient with a bunch of pain, it's the same thing as when you're looking for appendicitis, is you just give them some pain medicine before you do the examination. Usually, I'd, usually, if I suspect that they have something going on in their belly that could potentially um, be bad, I have no problem giving them some IV pain medicine uh, before I scan. Now, this study, the way that they scan is very similar to how I scan in general, if a patient says, my belly hurts right here, and they point to a specific area, that's usually where I start. And that is exactly what they did in this study. So they started there. And then they just basically lawnmowed, looking at the entire abdomen, kind of like how we do for appendicitis, you know, appendicitis you usually start in the right side, and you kind of lawnmower just in the right lower quadrant. For diverticulitis, most of the time that's going to be in the left side of the abdomen. So you start there and you just lawn lawnmower uh, up and down using graded compression. Now I am comparing this very Um, easily with appendicitis because examination is very similar. But I will tell you that this examination is orders of magnitude easier than appendicitis because you're not looking for just like a specific structure like the appendix that could be retrocecal, it could be behind bowel gas. What you're looking for is you're looking for a finding that can be located in multiple different areas of the colon. And what you're looking for is just a little outpouching, like a little like balloon out of that diverticulitis, that's the main finding that you're looking for. Just what you would picture a diverticulum
0: looking like in in two D. Yep, it's just like a little line with an outpouching, and then from there, it seems like it's pretty easy. We're looking for enhancement of the fat, which has also been described for appendicitis, and then bowel wall edema, which you know comes into play in a lot of different bowel applications.
2: I still have concerns.
0: All right, we'll we'll get there, Craig.
2: I know. I'm keeping them to myself for now.
0: So here's how this played out. They ended up having 452 patients, which was enough for their power analysis, so they met that. And they had a couple that were excluded because they could not do the ultrasound exam. That was a little bit strange, but it was only four patients, so I'm not super worried about that. Median age 60, 54% women. BMI was 274 67% had that left lower quadrant pain. That is pretty typical. And just for a feel for the population, about 36% of them were admitted to the hospital ultimately. Primary outcome was the test characteristics of the ultrasound compared to CT for the diagnosis of diverticulitis. The sensitivity was high. 92%, 92%, specificity, 97%. And you know we like likelihood ratios here.
1: I love me a likelihood ratio.
0: Positive likelihood ratio, 30. Negative likelihood ratio, 0.08. So pretty fantastic. Now there was some other interesting findings here. Meantime, to complete the ultrasound exam, five minutes, no problem all of the patients with complicated diverticulitis because this will come into play later i think a lot of people may say i don't know i'm too scared to do ultrasound because what if i miss complicated diverticulitis and they die sure that seems reasonable but 37 of the 163 patients with diverticulitis had complicated diverticulitis and all of them had ultrasound findings that's pretty important to me I think on all of the complicated cases as well, you could see that they had some free fluid or an abscess or something else suspicious. So I'd say these are pretty impressive results. What do you guys think?
2: So I agree, but I'm still dubious. I think these results are impressive. I have some concerns when we compare this, like Jacob was saying to appendicitis, the appendix is bigger than a diverticula and it's still a challenge to find. And it's only in one spot. Bow wall edema, as they mentioned with their false positives, is very nonspecific, and I don't know who their patients are, but our average BMI would definitely not be 27, especially in the patients that are high risk for diverticulitis. I also think if you've looked at these CT scans, like finding the swirly fat area on the CT scan isn't that hard, but sometimes localizing like these tiny little abscesses They're often behind the bowel and it can be very challenging to find on a CT, let alone surfing around behind bowel gas with an ultrasound. So I think it's cool. I hope it's reproducible. I still have doubts.
1: I think that anytime that there is a study that comes out, an important question to always ask is what is the external validity? Can this be reproduced? And I think that that's a, uh, a fair concern. I will say though that It seems like if you have a bunch of people that are trained correctly, um, because there was quite a bit of people that did this scan. I mean, the numbers are pretty promising. I'm not saying that I'm going to go out and immediately stop scanning people. If I, you know, by scan, I mean CT scanning. But this is going to make me much more likely to try and avoid the CT scan. And I anticipate that the more studies like this that come out, the more it's going to be a lot more acceptable Um, to scan for this. Just kind of like, I'm sure the first time that we were scanning aortas, um, the same stuff. It was probably like one article that came out that was a single center. It had a lot of different people. They had really good accuracy. And now we have all these other ones that are showing um, good accuracy. Of course, as long as you can see the aorta, right? Um, So as long as you can see bowel and do the examination, I think that these numbers are are pretty good. And I think more stuff will come out.
0: I think that's a really good point. And I hear what Craig is saying. We have to be a little bit wary of this being a single study, and there were a lot of potential biases in this population. It was a convenient sample. We know that this was only patients that were already getting a CT. So that may just be a subset of all of our diverticulitis patients. And they kind of, this is one of the first studies that made up this criteria, at least put like these three or four things together. So we don't know each of those individual Findings. if we need all of those or if one of them made it more sensitive or one made it more specific. So I think there is still more research to be done. Now, Jacob, to your point, there actually is another article that came out right around the same time. This is another article from July 2020 titled Diagnostic Accuracy of -of Point-of-Care Ultrasound Integrated into Clinical Examination for Acute Diverticulitis. Hmm. And this one was published in Ultrashall Med and... Pretty similar study overall. This one was multi-center. They ended up also using CT as their reference standard, although it was mostly like a chart review plus CT. They had a little bit more variety in who did the ultrasounds. This was different specialties, including internal medicine, surgery. They didn't have to have fellowship training. They did a two hour training and similar criteria. They had four millimeter thickening and some of the other findings in this study. And what they found over almost 400 patients was that POCUS actually saved time to diagnosis, about two hours. It was 93% sensitive, 90% specific. So kind of similar, except theirs was a little more sensitive than specific. So we'll link to that article in the notes as well. But it seems that we are accumulating more research on this. So pretty cool stuff. I will say, let me just add that This study, this second study that we're discussing, only 50% sensitive for detecting complicated diverticulitis. So remember this first study we talked about, really good for complicated diverticulitis. Second study, it says only 50% sensitive. So I think that the uh, jury's still out on that question.
2: All right, so question for you. Since you guys are trying to get me to drink the school aid, and I'm not convinced you're not poisoning me, if you have a obese... 70 year old person with fever localized left lower quadrant abdominal pain and diarrhea and you do your ultrasound and you don't see anything are you done
0: this seems like a trick question
2: because I'm fine by like I believe in the findings and I believe in that part I guess my question is the rule out ability and I kind of think this is the same place we are with bowel obstruction we know it's really good it's one of my favorite ultrasounds to do but what if it's negative? Now you're not probably costing your patient anything, you know, like twenty bucks and five minutes of their time, while and then deciding to get the CT scan. But do you feel comfortable with that patient not getting a CT scan?
0: Definitely not. Yeah. I'd, well, no. Okay, I mean, I. Well, how sick are <laughs> they? I forget.
1: That, that's the thing is that you, the ultrasound. I'm not saying that it's the only thing to do. It's just. I mean, the only reason that I like it, I think we're all on the same page. The, the reason I like it is because I think it makes me a, a faster, more accurate uh, clinician. Absolutely. But if I have somebody that has the potential to be very, very sick and the ultrasound doesn't give me the right answer, then I'm going to look for a different way to get that answer. Oftentimes, ultrasound helps. And when it helps, it's great. But sometimes, I mean, not sometimes, I frequently still get that CAT scan if I don't get the answer that I'm looking for. Um, or answered in a correct way or answered in a manner in which I am comfortable with without it.
2: Yeah, I think that's only my only beef is there was some, I'm trying to find the specific line in this article, but they kind of implied that this is like perfect, um, <laughs> that nothing else was really needed. And so I guess that's where I think this is good. I think this is helpful. I think this could definitely help expedite that person when you're like, this is likely diverticulitis. And especially that first-time person who's presenting early in their course who's hemodynamically stable and who's ready to just take their antibiotics and go and save them two hours of their life and some radiation, especially because we all know, similar to, like, PTAs, if these patients get ct early, when they come back with complications, I think we're all a little bit hesitant to give them a second CAT scan within a week or two, and I think ultrasound could really help in that situation with these patients, it's the same with our peritonsillar abscesses. But I don't think if it's negative, I'm feeling overly confident in my abilities to say, have a nice day without a CAT scan.
0: Yeah, it is kind of a complicated question when you think about it. Because first of all, not everybody's going to need a CT. So if you weren't going to get a CT, is there a role for point of care ultrasound? I don't know. I'm guessing probably not. But maybe it could help you rule it in and be a little more confident in your diagnosis. And then the second thing is, how concerned are you about complicated diverticulitis or having some of these bad complications, because that may be another reason to get a CT if you don't quite trust that your ultrasound is going to be good enough at this point. And I think for those high risk patients too, I would be a little bit cautious still because the sensitivity was not perfect. It was, it was weaker than the specificity in this study. And, you know, those are things that can really have some bad outcomes. So I would uh, still be cautious at this point.
1: And regardless of what the study authors of any article say, um, we should never be Sith when we practice medicine. There are no absolutes. All right. So like even if something seems like it's a great thing, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a great thing in every single situation. So let me sum up this study. This was a prospective study in the emergency
0: department enrolling patients with suspected diverticulitis who were getting a CT. They performed a POCUS protocol that took about five minutes and they got a 92% sensitivity, 97% specificity compared to CT. So, our take home points from this study. In the largest prospective trial to date, point of care ultrasound in the hands of highly trained operators had a high specificity and fairly high sensitivity for diverticulitis compared to CT. This supports the prior evidence for the accuracy of point of care ultrasound in making this diagnosis. However, more studies are still needed to show that there are patient centered benefits of a diagnostic algorithm that incorporates point of care ultrasound. Fantastic study. Thank you so much to these authors for putting this out there so we can keep advancing this application for ultrasound. And thank you, listeners. We always appreciate having you around. So until next time, feel free to go to our website, ultrasoundgel.org, check us out on Facebook, talk to us on Twitter, and we will talk to you later. More pressure, more,
1: Gel. more. pressure, more. WD-40 is a solvent. We definitely don't want that. We want lube.
2: That's what we <laughs> He's already in trouble. He already pooped his pants or something.